Well, good morning, church family. My name is Rob. I'm a pastor here. It is good to see you this morning. Um, some of you may pay attention to small details. You might be here this morning and you've looked at the passage of Scripture that we're going to preach on, and you're like, oh, it says right here we're going to be in Mark 3, 13. And I distinctly remember that we kind of wrapped up last week in Mark chapter 2. And so that you're, you're skipping some stuff, right? Some of you are like, listen, I didn't notice that. I got, my, I got my kids here and they all have their shoes on or like most of their shoes on or like I made it in before the first song ended this morning, you know? So like, hey, we're glad you're here, okay? But yes, indeed, we are skipping some passages. Let me pull back the curtain a little bit and help you understand why we're doing that. You're like, hey, are you doing that because those aren't important or are you doing that because they speak to some like awkward or uncomfortable stuff? N- no. That's not why we're doing that, all right? All of it's important, and I hope you've seen by your time here, we're more than happy to talk about some of the awkward and uncomfortable stuff in the Scriptures. You could actually make the case that there's some uncomfortable things that we read in the passage this morning. We're doing this so that we can make our way through the entire book of Mark in a reasonable time, all right? Or else we're going to be in it for the next couple years, and here's the thing. All right, I know this is D.C. In a couple of years, some of you guys are going to be in Spain and Switzerland and Huntsville and move all around, and there's going to be new people here. All right? That's why we're doing this. Also, for those passages that we've skipped, if you go to our website and search Mark Resources, we have all kinds of resources for you there, articles, uh, studies, that you can make sure that you're learning, understanding all that's here in the book of Mark. So that's what we're up to. We are starting chapter 3, verse 13 this morning. Let's read it together. Open up your Bible, your scripture journal, your phone, your phone, and track along with me. Mark 13, and he, Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him, and he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boandres, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons, he cast out the demons. And he called called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemes they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, 
but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called to him, and a crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, "Um, your your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Mighty and merciful Father, we pray that you would speak to us now through your word. We pray that as uh, middle school students and middle-aged adults and everyone before and after, that you would open up our eyes and open up our hearts, that this morning we might see Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. This morning we're going to give our attention to the topic of family. The topic of family. And I wonder, even as I mention that word, what comes to your mind or what What happens in your heart when you think of the word family? For I would imagine some of our greatest pleasures, our most significant joys, and also some of our deepest wounds and greatest regrets come to mind, come inside our hearts when we think about family. There's a mixture of all of those things. And so we're going to think about family this morning. We're going to give our attention to it. We come to Mark chapter 3 and we see Jesus and family. Again, crowds have gathered around Jesus. This happens again and again, right? Like Jesus is teaching and crowds gather, right? And as these crowds are gathering, so is the opposition. If you looked at verse 6 of chapter 3, you see this. It's finally come to the point where the opposition is seeking to kill Jesus. It says they're looking to destroy him. Funny thing in Mark, you run across Jesus, you're either astonished or amazed, or you are angry and you wish to destroy him. We really don't read any apathetic responses to Jesus, right? Kind of no place for, I don't know. Jesus demands a response. He's not content for you to sit on the fence. And so we see crowds gathering, uh, some adoring, some amazed at what he's done, some angry and ready to destroy him. And at the verses we look at this morning, when it comes to family, we are going to see that Jesus was rejected so that we could be accepted. All right, so we're going to try to work out on this rainy October morning here in Fairfax, all that it means for our lives that Jesus was rejected so that we could be accepted. We see that he was rejected by his family because they thought he was delusional, and he was rejected by the religious leaders because they thought he was a deceiver. Rejected for being delusional and rejected for being a deceiver. You know, the crowds are built, building, uh, you know, we read in Mark, uh, actually, that there, there, there are so many of them, sometimes they're crushing them. I love the detail, too, that they say there's so many there at this point that like, hey, we can't even eat sometimes. Um, the crowds are gathering, and Jesus has this habit. Even when crowds are gathering, it's not like he does all he can to add to their numbers. Like, the crowds will be there, and then what does he do time and again? He like ducks out. He disappears. 
In the beginning of this passage, he ducks out again and he takes the 12 with him. He says he desired to be with some of his followers. He takes the 12, they go up on the mountain. Uh, Two things he does, he he names them as apostles. And what it means to be an apostle, we're told, is it meant that they are with him, they spend time with him, and then he sends them out. That's what it means to be an apostle. And we're going to come back to this scene and these 12 towards the end. But he, he calls the apostles and then they head back down the mountain. We're told that he goes to, he went home. And again, verse 20, the crowd gathered so that they could not even eat. And then cue Jesus's family, right? Jesus's family shows up on the scene, Right. Now, you think when they showed up on the scene, like this is the expectation I would have when they get there. Like, hey, Jesus, man. Yeah, we remember your arrival into the world. That was pretty unique, right? Uh, Hey, remember that time too that like mom and dad lost you for a few days, right? Like that was crazy. And they finally found you in the temple just dropping all kinds of knowledge. Hey, Jesus, man, it looks like you've decided it's go time. We are really excited for you. Seems like... Lots going on. We're excited to see what's going to go on now. Is that the response of his family? No. They didn't come to chat with him. They didn't come to encourage him. They didn't come to like say, hey, great job. This is awesome to see. The the verse says they came to seize him. Why? Because they thought that he was out of his mind. They thought that he was delusional. Like his family is like, you have lost the plot. Maybe it's because they were just thrown off by all the crowds. Maybe it was because they were weirded out by casting out demons. Maybe they had caught whispers that people were going to destroy him. We don't know what it is, but they show up and they're like, "Uh, hey, we think our family member has lost his mind. Some of us know what it's like to have family issues. Your Savior does too, right? Some of you know that you have family members that think that you are delusional, that you've lost your mind because you've decided to follow Jesus. Thanksgiving is coming up soon, right? You might be with some of those family members who think like, really, you follow Jesus? What's up with that? Some of you students might have friends that think that you're delusional for following Jesus and believing what he says about himself. And homecoming season is upon us, right? And they're like, really, you're not going to do these things because you say that you follow this guy named Jesus? Are you delusional? And we're in America this morning, but we know that there are plenty of places around the world. Patrick prayed for our, our ministry friends in Indonesia For many of our Christian brothers and sisters in Indonesia, a decision to follow Jesus means rejection and threats from your family. So Jesus, our Savior, knows what it means to have family issues. We see it right here. He's rejected by his family. But he's not just rejected by his family for being delusional. He's rejected by the religious leaders, the leaders, if you will, of his ethnic and religious family. He's rejected by them for being a deceiver, right? They're trying to say, hey, actually, this guy, Jesus, he's not who he says he is. He's actually possessed by a demon. He's uh, uh, possessed and he's doing these work because Satan is working through him. Verse 23, uh, 
you know, up until this point, there have been some whispers, right? Like there were whispers in that scene where he forgave the sins of a paralytic. Like who? only God can forgive sins, right? And the passage we didn't cover, he caught some flack for breaking the Sabbath, right? They're like, hey, you're breaking the Sabbath. But we're told that the scribes come down, like DC lawyers, this is like the grand jury showing up for some like public accusation of, no, this man is possessed by a demon. An audacious accusation. And I love Jesus' response, right? Like this accusation happens, and what does he do? It says he called them over to him. He's like, hey, guys, come here. Let's have a chat. And he decides it's story time. He asks them a question like Jesus always does. He asks them a question, and he decides that it's story time. And he's like, listen, if Satan's the one that's behind this, Why would he even do that, right? If he's behind my exorcisms, then Satan is dividing his own house. Some of you know this house divided language uh, from the history of our country, right? Lincoln used it in a losing Senate campaign speech to describe our country when it comes to the Civil War and slavery. But it originates here with Jesus saying, listen, if what you're saying is true, that means Satan is dividing his own house. If I'm doing this in Satan's power, why would Satan cast out Satan? Why would Satan battle against Satan? That makes zero sense, Jesus says to them. And then, you know what Jesus does? He he kind of bows up a little bit. It struck me. He kind of says, you know what? Actually, if you're going to kick a strong man out of his house, you want to know what you do? If you're going to go in and wreck shop and take the stuff of a strong man, do you know what you need to do? You have to be the stronger man. So Jesus is saying, actually, a stronger one is here. The king is here, and that's what's going on. And then we come to verse 29. He follows up this parable about a house divided with this puzzling statement. Verse 29, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For some of you, that's like the only thing you've been thinking about since we read that scripture, right? Like, what in the world is that? Really be useful to know what's going on there. Let's try to understand this a little bit more. Listen, the context really helps us understand what's going on here because the scribes have shown up and they've said deception is happening. Lying is happening about who Jesus is. Remember what the role of the Holy Spirit is, is to point us to Jesus, to reveal exactly who Jesus is, that he is the true Messiah and the King that's come to save us. Right, And what, what's being said here is that that's the sin that, that can't be forgiven is if we reject the testimony of the Holy Spirit about who Jesus is. There's a theologian that says this helpfully, and I think it'll help uh, you. It definitely helped me. It says, this sin can never be forgiven, not because it's too great for God to forgive, but because by its nature, it excludes the possibility of repentance, right? Because what this sin is, is a rejection of what the Spirit says about who Jesus is. If you refuse to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the one who's come to rescue, then you have cut yourself off from his mercy and his forgiveness. 
And there is no hope for you. That's why it is eternal and unpardonable because you've rejected your rescue. So to be clear, the unpardonable sin, it's not suicide as some have thought. It's not adultery. It's not murder. R.C. Sproul says this helpful thing, a theologian named R.C. Sproul. He says, the very fact that you're concerned about what this sin is and you want to make sure that you don't do that, that's a good indication that you're not at danger of breaking it or committing it, right? Again, this this unpardonable, this eternal sin is the conscious, malicious, and willful rejection of the testimony of the Holy Spirit about who Jesus Christ is. So Mark just says, be careful about rejecting Jesus. Thinking that he's deluded or thinking that he's a deceiver, be careful about rejecting Jesus. Jesus was rejected so that we could be accepted. The Holy Spirit says, Jesus is the Messiah sent to rescue us. Um, Skeptics, students, all of us, that's the heart of the Christian message. That Jesus was rejected so that we could be accepted. And we are accepted because we are forgiven and we're made family. You, You wanna know the verse that should have taken our breath away? when we read it, that should have caught our attention. It's this verse right here, verse 28. Truly, truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. That's the verse that should have taken our breath away. All sins. Maybe you showed up here this morning thinking God wants nothing to do with you because of how you've messed things up. Maybe you think, well, God God relates to me, but mainly as an annoyance or an afterthought because I've messed things up so royally or I've made a mess of my life or what I've done and said to other people. Well, acceptance and forgiveness is available to all of us this morning and this moment. It says so right here, all sins, every last one. That should make us uncomfortable. Like when we think of some of the stuff done to us, that should make us uncomfortable. When we think of the things that we've done to others, but here it says all sins will be forgiven. And here's the thing. We remember that Jesus can say this because he's the one who has the authority to forgive sins. We remember that on the cross, Right? It's not that Jesus was just rejected by his earthly family or the religious, ethnic, religious family. Jesus was rejected by his eternal family. On the cross, he took the judgment of the Father. The Father turned his face away. And he was treated as if he was a deceiver. He was treated as if he was a blasphemer in our place because we are deceivers and we have blasphemed and we have committed adultery in our hearts and minds, each and every one of us. And so Jesus is rejected by the eternal Father so that we could be accepted. But it doesn't end there. You want to talk about stronger man? Jesus goes from the cross and into the tomb and there he plunders Satan. He defeats sin and death and rises again so the whole world can see it. That's how we know that we have forgiveness. And because we're forgiven, he makes us family. Let's let's go back to that first scene, right? He calls the 12 to himself. Don't you love that he knows their name? 
right? Like he talks about their specific names. One of the things I love more than ever about Jesus this week, he's handing out nicknames, right? Like that's great. That's family. What other savior is like that? A savior that that knows us and loves us enough to give some nicknames. When we're forgiven, we're bought, brought into this family. We see through Mark that he's, he's not just looking for an audience or crowd. He's calling followers, and he's turning those followers into a family, right? Think about after the resurrection. He first runs into Mary Magdalene, and he, he's got a message for the 12. You know what he says? He says, go and tell my brothers. Go and tell my brothers. And so at the end of the passage, when Jesus' biological family show up again and they're there and they're looking for him and the crowd says, hey, Jesus, your people out there, he looks around and he looks at the room and he actually says, no, this is my family. Right? And he looks at this room and he says, this is my family. And please know, friends, that's what we are seeking to build here at this church. Not just a gathering of individuals for one hour a week on Sunday, but the family of God. Because we found forgiveness and we've been brought together and included in his family. That's what we're seeking to build. He says, no, my family is the, uh, those that do the will of God. He says, hey, if you're in the family, you're about the family's business. You don't have to live a certain way to get in. In fact, you get in by grace. All of those 12 that are in the family, first part of the family, all of them abandoned Jesus, right? Think about this. You have this book in the New Testament that's nestled right there beside Hebrews. It's written by this guy named James. James was a leader in the early church. James was one of Jesus' brothers. Probably there when we recall, he was one of the ones calling him delusional at one point, but he came to see because of the work of the Holy Spirit that no, my brother is the Messiah and there's grace and forgiveness for him. So friends, Jesus was rejected so that we could be built into a family. All kinds of things flow from that, all right? I don't have time this morning to talk about it. You can start addressing the junk in your biological family once you understand this, that you're included in God's family and you've been accepted. That's how you can move in to start restoring some of the mess in our families. You don't have to be alone in Northern Virginia, which can be an incredibly lonely place. Maybe you're trying to raise kids and your family's halfway around the world. Well, God's given you a family here. You might be here and you're single and your family's down south. God's given you a family here. That's why we talk about community groups. That's why we talk about men's and women's groups because we're called to be a family. And we're called to invite others into this family. Right? Some of us went to the Romanian Christian Enterprises banquet last night. What a beautiful picture of God's people being the family of God in Romania and the Romanian family and the American family working together to bring in people, children who have been abandoned, welcome them to the family. There's a lot of lonely people in Fairfax. We work with Project Belong. Our neighbors, our schoolmates, our students, we're inviting them into this family. 
Jesus was rejected so that we could be accepted, friends. That's what this table reminds us of. That's the hope of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would impress these truths upon our soul. Wherever we may be this morning, maybe needing to confess uh, our need of rescue for the first time and come into the family for the first time, maybe we just need to be reminded and live like a son and a daughter to remember that we are not an afterthought or an annoyance, but we are the son and daughter of a good, good father. For those this morning that that have failed and fallen, remind them of your mercy and forgiveness this day. And Father, may we ever be a people here in Fairfax that are inviting people to know your fierce love and your great forgiveness, that your family might grow and that you might receive all the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.